Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Welcome, everyone. Great to see all you guys here this morning. If you're a visitor, thanks for joining us. Uh, hopefully you'll be uh, encouraged and that you'll be moving forward in your relationship with the Lord as a result of our time together this morning. Well, if you're new to uh, our church or uh, new to Christianity, uh, here at our church, we seek to exalt uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who we serve. Uh, without Christ, we would be nothing. And as we sang at the start of our service here, Christ truly is worthy, is he not? He truly is worthy. And for those of you that have had your lives transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ, you know the difference that Christ makes in someone's life. You know, before Christ came for thousands of years, people were left wondering and hoping for the time of the coming of the Messiah. And for thousands of years, the Israelites had all but one choice. That was to regularly bring sacrifices to the tabernacle and they would do this throughout the year and they would do this on the Day of Atonement and they would bring their sheep and they would bring their goats and they'd have to bring these to the priest year after year so that God would look over their sin. And it was never a permanent arrangement. I mean, if you were a Jewish family living 2,000 years ago, you had to go every year to the tabernacle. You can almost just imagine some of those young Jewish kids a few thousand years ago saying, Daddy, are we going to have to go to the tabernacle again? Yes, son, yes, daughter, we have to go again and again and again and again. Decades, centuries, millennia, sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But then in God's plan... He sent the final lamb, Jesus Christ, who John the Baptist called the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The lamb of God, the final lamb to take away the sin of the world. The writer of the Hebrews says Christ was a once for all sacrifice for our sins. Only because of Christ. And when the fullness of time came, God sent his son into this world so that we could finally have peace with God. You know, if you're here this morning and you've never heard this before, you've just got to know, without God, you're living in rebellion to God. Romans 5 says, if you're without God, you are the enemy of God. But thankfully, because of Christ's great love for us, He willingly died on that cross on that Good Friday. Did he not? He took your sin. He took your sin. He took your sin on him. Your penalty, your wrongs, God put on his son. Christ took your sin on him, the perfect substitute. Yeah, you should have been on that cross. I should have been on that cross. But Jesus did it for me. He did it for me. He took my sin on him on that cross. And because of that, because he took my sin, I can say, okay, Lord, 
I don't want to have to pay for my sin. I'd like to have Jesus do it for me, and I'm trusting him to do it. I'm trusting in Christ to pay for my sin. He died on that cross, and he rose again on that Easter Sunday that we'll celebrate next weekend. And because of Christ's death on that cross, it gives us hope. Not in a political climate, not in a world, not in a country, not in a person, but in Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you came here wondering and without hope, this is your day to now have peace with God. And I trust that you'll leave here this morning ready to make that decision to have peace with God. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ, and learn some lessons from his, his life. You know, as you think about Palm Sunday and the events of Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry, sometimes on Palm Sunday, you know, we just kind of focus on that one day or even that one moment where Christ made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and fulfilled prophecy. Sometimes on Palm Sunday, we only think about that But that was just the start of the final week. It was just the start of that last final week where Christ would minister in a way that he had been ministering for many years, but he knew the time was coming for his departure. And he knew that once the cross came and his resurrection, his ministry would forever be changed. So he really had one final week. Interesting, Jesus knew when he was going to die. I mean, Jesus knew a lot, but he knew when he was going to die. He knew when he came through those gates in Jerusalem, he knew that the clock was ticking. He knew he had days left. It was the final week. It was his final days. Now, I wonder, let's say, for example, that this week... Hopefully this wouldn't be your situation. But let's just say this week, you go to your doctor, and your doctor says to you, you got one week to live. You got one week. Jesus is on that donkey, and he knows, I got one week. In this current phase of ministry, and how I've been interrelating with my disciples and my people, I've got one week. Let's say the news is brought to you this week that you have one week, and that's it. It'd be sobering news, wouldn't it? And after the initial shock wore off of, wow, this is it, you start to come up with a game plan for your final week. You would. You just would. And I wonder, what would you do? I wonder, where would you go? And I wonder, whom would you want to spend your time with? And based on how you answered those questions, what does that say about you? What does that say about me? Because really, how you live your life in those final moments really does say a lot about you, doesn't it? 
So the events of the Passion Week of Jesus are incredibly revealing. The triumphal entry occurring on a Sunday, one week before he'd rise from the dead, a lot happened in those bookends of the triumphal entry and the resurrection when he would give himself for his people, give his life for a ransom as a ransom for many. As you look through the final week of Jesus, it's interesting to see Jesus and what he's doing. So if you were to go to Jesus at the triumphal entry and say, hey, Jesus, if you had one week to live, what would you do? He would say, I've got one week to live, and here's what I'm going to do. And here's what he did. So it's interesting, as you look at Sunday of that final week, the triumphal entry is taking place, and Jesus inspects the temple. On Monday, Jesus cursed a fig tree and purged the temple. On Tuesday... Jesus was proclaiming his upcoming crucifixion and resurrection. Wednesday, Jesus taught in the temple. And on that day, Judas agreed to betray Jesus. On Thursday, Jesus likely ate the Passover meal, a day earlier than traditional Passover. And on Friday, Jesus was tried, never convicted, sentenced to death, and died by crucifixion. Needless to say, a pretty busy week with lots to do and lots of purpose behind it. But it's interesting, as one of the closest followers of Jesus wrote, when he was writing to the church, he said this about how we should think about Jesus. He said, Peter said this in chapter two of his epistle, his first epistle, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should what? Follow in his steps. In his steps. Those closest to him said, we as his disciples are to walk. Not in my steps, not in Pastor Phil's steps, in his steps. The steps of the Lord Jesus. So in other words, you could pattern your life after the Lord Jesus. You could live your life the way that he lived his, and you would be able to state definitively based on God's word, I am living in the middle of God's will for my life. Because I'm just living my life the way that Jesus did. When we don't live our life the way that Jesus did and follow in his steps, we can safely say we're outside of God's will. So therefore, it'd be wise for us as his followers to say, how did Jesus live, and how can I match my life up this week with that? Would you be willing to look at some scriptures with me to see if there's some changes you might need to make in your life related to this? Because if you follow in the steps of Jesus, here's what Jesus is doing in his final week. He's honoring his Father in the big moments and the little details. He's telling the truth, but with compassion. He's giving people the opportunity to repent. He's holding fast to his mission, despite adversity. And very importantly, Jesus is investing in those closest to him. You see this throughout the final week. When you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, you honor the Father in big moments and little details. You see this in the triumphal entry. You see this as Jesus is inspecting the temple. 
And I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. So I want you to see this for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. I want you to see it in your copy of the Bible right in front of you. So get out your electronic Bible or your paper Bible. Let's look at this together, Matthew 21. Matthew 21, let's stand as we read Matthew 21 together. Matthew 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, Tell him that the Lord needs them, he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. You could be seated. We'll get to the rest of the text in just a bit here. Interesting here, as you think about how Jesus is starting his week, he's looking to fulfill prophecy. And I want to go on with the narrative here in a bit of a unique way. Interesting, John MacArthur has written a book called One Perfect Life. And it's not really a book that he wrote because what uh, Dr. MacArthur did in this, in this book was he combined all the gospel narratives into one. He took Matthew's perspective, Mark's, Luke's, and John's, which are four very different perspectives on the life of Jesus. He took those four perspectives and weaved them into one narrative, which really gives us um, um, a good picture of what that final week um, of Jesus was like in a little bit more detail. And I want to read to you the four perspectives from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? So when he looked around at all things, he left them and went out of the city to Bethany as the hour was already late, and he lodged there with the twelve. It's interesting, as you look at the weaving together of the gospel narratives, you do see Jesus in that triumphal entry. You see him fulfilling Zechariah and that prophecy of coming into Jerusalem and formally proclaiming himself to be the king. But you also see with other gospel narratives, he's going into the temple, he's working miracles, he's asking uh, questions of people. People are asking questions of him. He's continuing to demonstrate the fact that I'm not just any man, I am the son of God, demonstrated by how I live my life. 
And it's almost like when Mark tells us, as that day of the triumphal entry is coming to a close, a big day. I mean, there's tens of thousands of people in Jerusalem at this time for the Passover. It's a big day. But it's almost like at the end of his day, Mark tells us that he looked around at all things in the temple. He looked around at all things. Like only God could do. As our great high priest, inspecting the temple, looking at all the things that are taking place in the temple as the Son of God. So on that day, there's this massive, jubilant, triumphal entry, but there's also this quiet, detailed inspection of the temple. One, not more important than the other. Both needed, both important. So in the big moments and the little details in his final week, Jesus was honoring his father. In other words, at the end of his life, Jesus is making sure he's being very intentional and very deliberate in the things that he's doing. He's honoring God in the big things. He's honoring God in the little things. If we walk in the steps of Jesus this week, that could look like this. In the big moments this week, that could be when you're being asked what you believe in the classroom, that you take a stand for Christ. When you're being asked what you think about God on a social media platform, you're taking a stand for Christ. When you have the opportunity to gripe about something this week, because there tends to be a lot of things to be griping about these days, instead we use that as an opportunity to magnify Christ and uplift Christ. Those are big moments. And this week, God could present you with some of those big moments. But what about the little details also? The little details of this week could be giving a homeless person a gift card, praying for a need that is presented to you, or changing diapers and picking up after little ones in Jesus' name. In the big things, and in the little things. Jesus was honoring God. And this week, you'll have the opportunity to do the same thing, likely. So, in other words, it's not about being a rock star. It's not about being the biggest and the greatest. It just means in the moments and in the opportunities that God presents to you, you use them to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, you honor the Father in the big moments, and the little details, like Jesus did. But also, very importantly, you tell the truth, but with compassion. You tell the truth, but with compassion. It's interesting, some of Jesus' most intense, passionate, and almost frightening encounters that he had with those who opposed his life and ministry happened during his final week. In fact, as you look at the confrontation that happened between Jesus and the leaders of the nation of Israel, it's almost as you look at the Gospels, you just see that conflict just rising and rising and rising and rising as he gets to his final week to the point where they can't really take it anymore and it puts into sequence the events of Jesus' arrest. But I'd like you to turn just a few pages over. You're in Matthew 21 right now, but I'd like you to turn a few pages over to Matthew chapter 23. 
So Matthew chapter 23, this is taking place Tuesday or Wednesday of Jesus' final week. Pretty difficult conversation he's having here with the religious leaders. I'd like us to look at it. Why? Because this is happening in the final week. I want you to see, yeah, there's a triumphal happening in the triumphal entry happening in the final week, but there's some pretty tough things being said the final week also. Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus says in verse 13, Matthew 23, 13, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You were like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Verse 29. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes. You brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you'll crucify, kill and crucify. Others you'll flog in your synagogues and pursue them from town to town. And so until you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth. All this will come upon this generation. But verse 37. O Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets. And stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you weren't willing. Look. Your house has left you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hard words, right? 
Man, tough words. For some of you, that's the first time you ever read Jesus say things like that. Hard words, but truthful. But as Jesus is wrapping up those very hard words, it's almost like you see the heart of the Savior with a heart full of compassion for the people he's saying these very difficult things to. How he's saying to Jerusalem, I've longed for so long to gather you together as a chick gathers her hens. Great compassion. Truth with love. Truth with compassion. You know, in many circumstances, the Western church hasn't been able to figure out how to minister with truth and love. Check out what Warren Wearsby said about that. Truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. Many churches in the name of wokeness and cultural relativism have chosen love instead of truth. Love instead of truth. That is hypocrisy. Not following in the footsteps of Christ. But however... Many churches, in the name of integrity and fundamentalism, have chosen truth instead of love. That's brutality. That's not following in the footsteps of Christ. It's truth and love. Both. And Paul just hit the nail on the head so well when he said in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I possess, if I give all I possess to the poor... And give over my body to hardship so that I can boast. But I don't have love. I gain nothing. Has to be done with love. I mean, man, we can say some tough things from this platform. And we need to. But bathed and immersed in love. Compassion. Man, sometimes... Christians are some of the most evil talkers out there. We go to any forum or social media thread, and sometimes what the Christians are saying is just like, wow, spiteful, angry, hurtful. Speak the truth with love. Speak the truth with love. When you fall in the footsteps of Christ, you honor the Father in the big moments and the little details. When you fall in the footsteps of Christ, you tell the truth, but with compassion. But also, you give people the opportunity to repent. You give people the opportunity to repent. Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 20. 
John 12, 20. I'd like you to see this for yourself, so take your paper Bible or your electronic Bible and let's look at it together, all right? John chapter 12, verse 20. John 12, 20 says this, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast, okay? Slow down and think through this. Don't just plow through the details here. There were some Greeks. Are they Jews? No, they're Greeks. They're Greeks. Now, in the past, in Jesus' ministry, Jesus was very pointed with the fact that he came to minister first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew 15. I came to minister to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's why Jesus came. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus was very clear when he told his disciples about to go out on a missions trip, do not go to the Gentiles, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Matthew chapter 10. He was very clear in that. Here, you've got a Gentile in Jesus' final week, Gentiles in Jesus' final week coming to Jesus. There were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. So the Greeks come to Philip who is from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. They don't go straight to Jesus. They go to one of his guys, Philip. What's their request? Sir, we would like to see Jesus. That is a good request. Is it not? In fact, our whole generation, without even knowing it, that's what they want to see. That's what they want to see. Without even knowing it, they want to see Jesus. Philip, what's he do? Does he go to Jesus? Nope. He goes to Andrew. Philip goes to Andrew. And Andrew and Philip go to Jesus together. Interesting disciple dynamics happening in there. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, and the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it, said it had thundered, and others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But when I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Interesting, these Greeks, they wanted to hear Jesus. They wanted to see Jesus. And what's Jesus doing? He's talking about his death. He's talking about his resurrection. He's talking about the, the importance of discipleship and lordship. He's laying out for these Greeks that maybe for the first time have heard his words. He's laying out for them, yes, I am God, I am king, but I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. And I'll be lifted up. So in those final moments... Jesus is taking every opportunity he's got, even with people groups that he hasn't had a lot of opportunity to minister to in the past. He's taking every opportunity he's got to talk about his death and resurrection. Every moment, every opportunity, 
looking for an open door to tell someone the truth of who he is. This week, especially in our highly religious part of the country, void of a relationship with Christ, but highly religious, you'll have open doors to talk about Jesus this week. And not that your good works get you merit points with Jesus, but by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that none of us can say, I did it. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Some of us freeze when we're talking about Jesus. Hey, can I make it real simple for you? You do not have to be a master in evangelism to talk about Jesus. You don't need a PhD in evangelism to talk about Jesus. You know the only thing you got to do? Share your story. Just share your story. It's easy. And it's unique to you. You're the only one that's got it. You're the only one that's got your story. And it's easy to tell. And people can't be like, that didn't happen. No, that's my story. That, that is my story. That is what happened to me. It's really hard for people to refute it because it's your story. And if you can get to the point where like Charles Ryrie used to teach, when you can tell your story in about 30 seconds or less, you should be good to go. In other words, Charles Ryrie used to say, if you can run up to someone who's in a car accident and they're in a burning car and you've got 30 seconds to share the gospel, you tell your story. You tell your story. This week, you could have that 30 seconds to tell your story. Billy Graham said this, the greatest way we can show love to another person is by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. That's the greatest way you can show love to someone. Tell them about the gospel. Dwight Moody said this, when a man is filled with the word of God, you cannot keep him still. If a man has got the word, he must speak or die. G. Campbell Morgan said this, to call a man evangelical who is not evangelistic is an utter contradiction. Just share your story. There is someone in your sphere of influence that needs your story of how you came to Christ. Will you share it this week? Who is that person that needs to hear your story? Would you tell them? When you follow in the footsteps of Christ, and particularly in the final week, when you follow in the footsteps of Christ, you honor the Father in the big moments and little details. You tell the truth, but with compassion. You give people the opportunity to repent, and you hold fast to your mission despite adversity. You hold fast to your mission despite adversity. Turn with me to Luke chapter 21. Luke 21. 2137. This is in the final week. It's in the final days of the final week. Now think about it. You're in the final days of your final week. You're starting to freak out a little bit, right? I mean, the end's coming. You're like 72 hours away. Right? 
I mean, you're checking out your 401k, you're checking out your life insurance policy, you're making sure all your loved ones are taken care of. What's Jesus doing? I'm, I'm going to go teach in the temple. Jesus, why would you do that? Because that's what I do. I don't live in my final week really any different than I've lived my whole life. I just do what I do. This is what he does. He's teaching in the temple. Verse 37, Luke 21, 37. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple. Each day Jesus goes up to the temple and shares some really good stuff. Each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Chapter 22, verse 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. For they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watch for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Interesting. In his final days, Jesus is going about his ministry knowing full well that one of the people, one of the men that he had invested years of his life into is about to stab him in the back. He knows it. He knows it. In fact, John 6, 64 says that Jesus knew full well those who would believe and not believe and the one who would betray him. John 6, 64. He knew. He knew it was Judas. He knew when the time would be. But Jesus is going about his mission, fulfilling God's will for his life, even in the midst of incredible adversity and backstabbing, Jesus stuck to his mission. Even when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane asking God if there was another path to remove the cup of his wrath, he stuck to his mission. He didn't give in. He didn't cave. He stayed true to his father. The days are not going to get easier. The days are going to get harder. In fact, in some of our Christian circles, we're already starting to see that. It's not going to get easier to stand for the truths found in Scripture. It's not going to get easier to tell people that you're a Christ follower if you're thinking that it's just going to progressively start to get easier in the days and weeks ahead. You're wrong. Paul is very clear with Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that the times are going from bad to worse. It's not going to get any better. If you're following in the footsteps of Jesus, you realize he didn't give in to the culture. He stood true to the mission. He stood true. He stuck to the truths found in Scripture. He didn't waver or waffle on the truths found in Scripture in any area of life and morality. He stood true. Will you? Because the culture around you is caving in on you. Parents, the culture with your children is caving in on them to get them to believe things that are anti-God. You can't cave. Jesus didn't. Right up to his final breath, 
He's fulfilling God's plan. What about you? Jesus said this. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith with you? Would you follow in the footsteps of Christ? You honor the Father in big moments and little details. You tell the truth, but with compassion. You give people the opportunity to repent. You hold fast to your mission despite adversity. And you keep investing in the people closest to you. Where do we see that? Luke 22. You should be right there. Just flip over to verse 14. Luke 22, 14. It's interesting, in the final days of Jesus' life, you don't really see Jesus flying solo. Even in the times where he's going to have prayer by himself, he's having fellowship with his Father. He's spending time with his Father. You know, the, you know what Jesus is doing the night before his triumphal entry? You know what Jesus is doing? He's having dinner with three of his closest friends. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Hanging out. Having a great time together. Being around people and investing in them was important to them. And Jesus says this in Luke 22, 14 and 15. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. This is when Jesus is about to have the last supper with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I have earnestly desired, guys, to spend this time with you, to have this final moment with you. I've got final things I want to share with you and prepare you for and get you ready for. Guys, I want to get you ready for the fact that in the next days, I'm going to be gone and you're not going to be able to interrelate with me like you have before. And so, guys, I've got some things I want to invest in you. I want to pour into you. I want to prepare you for what's coming. Jesus made all these investments in his close relationships. Hey, church, listen. Jesus went deep in his relationships. Yeah, there was fun. Absolutely. But it wasn't all fluff. There were many moments in those relationships where Jesus went deep. Focusing on helping them grow in their relationship with the Lord. Relationships of spiritual death are focused on Christ. And they're essential for the believer. FPC, can I ask you? Are you in those kind of relationships where you're being invested in and you're investing in others? That's walking in the footsteps of Christ. That's what Jesus has called us to do, to follow his example in that. So ask yourself this week, how will I honor the Lord, honor the Father in the big moments and the little details? like Jesus. How will I tell the people truth, but with compassion, like Jesus? How will I this week give people the opportunity to repent, like Jesus? In what ways will I this week hold fast to the mission, despite adversity, like Jesus? And this week, how will I invest in the people that are closest to me like Jesus? 
Why don't we just bow our heads just for a moment? Give us a second just to think. Just bow your heads just for a moment. Right now, maybe the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. And in one of these areas, what's the area that you think you've got to be ready to demonstrate this week? Would you be willing to do it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of Jesus, who not just on Palm Sunday lived out your will for him, but every day of his life. Thank you, Lord, for these life lessons we see from Jesus in his final week. And Lord, as you give us opportunity, may we live like Jesus this week in these areas. So Lord, may we just have greater surrender, we as a church in these areas, to glorify you in our sphere of influence. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.